0: A reading from Psalm 1. The two ways. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and all they do they prosper. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, so we are getting down to it in the Summer Psalms series extravaganza uh, this week and next week. And so just a quick recap of kind of the framework we've been using to do this. So three different types of psalms that we see, psalms of orientation, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation, uh, psalms of creation, uh, psalms of sin, and then psalms of redemption. And so uh, as we go through the psalms, we're using this as a guide because the psalms are kind of easy sometimes to get lost in. Which makes me think of a story. So, uh, if you were here in church last Sunday, you probably noticed, I hope you noticed that I wasn't here. Um, And uh, the reason wasn't that I just decided to skip church uh, and didn't feel like it that day. But uh, I was with three other gentlemen, uh, brave, intrepid gentlemen. Uh, Two of the three made it here this Sunday. One of them, we didn't quite make it back with us. Uh, But uh, I was with three other gentlemen in the Boundary Waters. And the Boundary Waters, of course... Right on the border with Canada. uh, And they are, in my humble opinion, maybe the most beautiful place on earth. You have these thousands of acres of untrammeled wilderness. You have these pristine, crystal clear waters, exotic animal life. We saw a moose and her calf. I'd never seen one in person in the wild before. It was incredible. And you have nights that are so dark that you just have the stars painted across the sky. You can see the Milky Way. There's nothing like it. And so we went, and and when we were in there, we we had this experience I've never had before when I was there even. We went more than 24 hours. We did not see anyone else who was outside of our party. It was amazing. We were off the grid. We were away from humanity. And so we paddled and portaged our way around this 30-mile loop Nine different lakes, four days. The thing about this journey is that it didn't exactly get off to what I would call the smoothest start. So we set in on this lake called Clearwater Lake, which is just up Grand Marais on the the Gunflint Trail. And and it's this stunning lake. I mean, truly, when you set in the water, it it has some of the most stunning views, I think, in the entire Boundary Waters. You're on this lake, and you look out, and you see on your right-hand side, there are these sheer 300-foot cliffs sticking out of the water. You don't usually see that. You expect that with Lake Superior, but not this small lake right here in the Boundary Water. So these amazing cliffs right next to the lake. Uh, and and you're, you're paddling, and you're seeing them rise out of the water, and, 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 and you feel like you're back in time. Like it's like the last of the Mohicans or something. And so you get in the water, you're excited to start, you're running on adrenaline, and then when we reach the end of the lake, after a couple of hours, uh, we, we, we were facing our first portage, which if you don't know what a portage is, that's where you take your canoes and your gear and you carry them over to the next lake. And if you've been there before, you know that it can sometimes be hard to locate exactly where the portages are. There's no signs, there's no neon lights, there's no one telling you, like, come here, this is where you're supposed to go. And so we looked at the shore where we thought the portage was supposed to be and there was nothing, just trees. And so we saw another canoe at the end of the lake. We go, okay, good. These people know where they're going. We will just ask them, and they will tell us where the portage is. And when we got within earshot, they yelled out first to us, do you know where the portage is? (laughs) And my dad, who was the navigator at this point, uh, looked at the map and said, oh, it must be over there. And so we paddled over there, and it wasn't there. But then, out of the corner of our eye, we saw something that looked like a portage and just then as we pulled up we saw a couple of guys hy- hiking down and so our intuition was confirmed we had found our first portage we were back on track so what preceded next can only be described as our version of the Baton Death March uh, the four of us tried to carry our canoes, our two canoes and all of our packs over this portage it was a, it was, it was a very long portage and uh, uh, you know these are 50 pound bags, these are 50-pound canoes, and we're just all loaded up, like we're going to take these two-thirds of a mile, and we later learned that this was an L-10 portage, which l level 10, there's no higher level than level 10 portage, this was the most difficult portage we could do, it had been raining, they said, the, the guy at the outfitter said they hadn't had this much rain in years, so it was this muddy, mucky, awful mess, and so about halfway through, we said, we're not doing this in one shot. And we mercifully dropped our bags, our packs on the ground. And to our shame, we had to make two trips, but whatever. We wanted to live. And so after nearly an hour and a half, we collapsed. And we had successfully done it. We had transported our stuff and ourselves from one lake to another. And so now you think, okay, it's all going good. Well, we were supposed to do, and I'm trying to do this backwards for you so it makes sense. So is this clockwise to you when I do this? Okay, yeah, so we, were supposed to, so we were supposed to do a clockwise trip, right? Going from east to west, and then, you know, back up around again. Um, and so meaning when we got in, in this next lake, we were supposed to be paddling west. And so we started paddling west, except we noticed that when we were paddling west, we were actually paddling east, which didn't make any sense according to the map. And so somehow we figured pretty quickly that we had taken the wrong portage, and we had ended up in the wrong lake, which completely changed the route that we were going to take for our trip. Whoops. So, (laughs) and there was no way in the name of anything that we were doing that portage again. And so all of this only reinforces the three things that you need most often when you're in the boundary waters. A good map, a good compass, and a good Navigator or guide. And so if you have those three things, you're going to make it. And in most cases, we say in life, two out of three ain't bad. In this case, it was a little more challenging, but all's well that ends well. Our, our, our actually, our revised route ended up being better. So a good map, a good compass, a good navigator, those are the three essential guides for a successful journey. And we see the exact same principle at play in Psalm 1 this morning. Which stands here it's Psalm 1 so it's kind of a general introduction to the Psalms. Saying that what you read here is going to provide you with the right map, the right compass and right navigator in order for you to make it through the voyage of life successfully. This is how you get from here to hallelujah. So Psalm 1 begins by laying out the map, by saying, okay, here's the direction that you're going to take here is where you need to be headed. There's one right way you can go, one wrong way you can go. And like any good set of directions, Psalm 1 keeps it simple. And so the destination that the Psalms recommend for us is captured in this first word, the first word of the Psalms, happy. Happy are those who, and then it goes on. And the word happy in Hebrew is Asheray. so if you know anyone named Asher, you know that their name in Hebrew means happy. However, in a lot of other translations that you'll read, uh, this first word is translated as blessed. Blessed is the one who. And and I think the reason for this is that blessed sounds like a much more nice religious word than happy, doesn't it? Happy to the contemporary American ear, it, it, it sounds so flip, so inconsequential, like Bobby McFerrin, you know, don't worry, be happy. Like, that's pretty lame if that's where the Psalms are pointing us. Is it really the happy life that we're looking out for? And not the blessed life? But what's really interesting about this is, is this Hebrew word, "asheray." When, when it gets translated in the ancient versions of, of the Greek Old Testament, Psalm 1, it uses the same first word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when it says, you know, blessed are the. exact same word. So, Take this Hebrew word asher and you translate it into this other Greek word and that's the same word that Jesus is using at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Same word that's the first word used here in Psalm 1. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit sounds a lot more realistic and better than maybe happy are the poor in spirit and happy are those who mourn. But of course it all depends on what kind of happiness we're talking about. See, it's about much more, of course, than feeling good. It's deeper than that. The kind of joy and happiness that the Psalms are picturing is the kind that comes from living a life in relationship with God. And so a happy life in the vision of the Psalms is a life marked by prayer, worship, seeking justice, faithfulness, truthfulness, worship, and sacrifice. The kind of happiness that the psalms are talking about is is what's called in the classical, philosophical, and theological language human flourishing. Eudaimonia. We could paraphrase uh, this destination provided by the map of Psalm 1 as, you know, the good life. Truly good is the life lived with and for God is the message of the psalms. So the good life, which is the with God life, is the destination set, set forth for us in the Psalms. That's our map. That's saying this is where you are going. If you follow this map, you are going to get there. But what about our compass and who will be our navigator? Before we get there, the Psalms say not so fast. It's not that easy. It's a little more complicated than that. Because before we get to, to sort of how we get there, someone has a warning. It throws up a warning right away. Red flashing lights. It says that there's another way out there, another route that's going to be suggested to you, another version of the good life that you need to avoid. This is a counterfeit version of the good life. To pick up the earlier illustration, you're going to be on your route. There'll be two portages in front of you that you have to choose from both marked. The good life. One is the with God life and the other is the life recommended by whom Psalm 1 refers to as the wicked. The wicked are the people who say the with God life is for suckers. It's like an L10 portage. You don't need to take that. There's a much smoother, easier, level, paved road to get you where you want to go. These are the voices that are so loud in our culture, but they've always been loud throughout history. The voices that say the good life means that if it feels good, do it. The voices that say if you want it, go out and get it, and if you got to, take it. Voices that say the ends justify the means. That might makes right. That the golden rule is, you know, whoever has the gold makes the rules. That what matters most is not that you're good, but that you're comfortable, that you're taken care of, that you have everything you want and everything you desire and everything you need. So the Psalms say, okay, the the good life is the God-centered life. And then we could say, no, 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 no. There is no God, or if there is, he's not really worried about what you're doing. The good life is the life centered on you. This has always been a, a temptation in America, to think that the good life is the life centered on us. Alexis de Tocqueville, you know, the, the, the famous French observer of, of America uh, in the 1830s, he observed on his visit to America, but it could have been yesterday, he says, each citizen is habitually engaged in the contemplation of a very puny object, namely himself or herself. So Psalm 1 says there are fundamentally two paths we can take. One is centered on God. The other is centered on you. One leads to flourishing. The other is withering. Choose wisely. All right, so we've, we've, we've got the map which directs us to the good life, the God-centered life, and we've seen the counterfeit version, the self-centered life, and now we turn to the compass. What is going to help us navigate? The twists and turns, what's going to keep us on the path. And so verse 2 tells us that the good life belongs to those who meditate on the law of the Lord, day and night. And so the compass that will keep us on the correct path is the law. The Hebrew word for that is Torah. And this word Torah comes from a, 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 a root that means to shoot like an arrow. So shoot a target or to throw like a javelin or a spear. And so the idea is with Torah, with the law, it's gonna give you the ability to shoot or throw straight and hit that target right square in the center that's marked the good life. So we've got this map showing us our destination of happiness, and Torah is the compass that makes sure we arrive at our destination. Or or to switch metaphors, we've we've got the target, and the Torah is our bow and arrow, and it is equipped with a laser sight to ensure accuracy. Another way to put it is, is that our, our compass isn't the law in some very narrow sense of all the legal material that we see in the Bible, but, it, but it's this holistic sense of God's instructions, I- including the entirety of Scripture. And so if we need a compass, it's the whole of the Word. We read it, we study it, we, we pray it, we hear it preached week in and week out. And if we do that, then God, through the working of His Spirit, is going to give us the wisdom we need to go the right way. And and if we're in the Word, then we'll never get too far off track. And if we do, it's going to show us the way back. But if we aren't in the Word, then we're going to get lost. We're going to take the wrong portage. We're going to end up in the wrong lake. All right, so we've got the map. We've got the compass. But what we're still missing is the guide. Because so far, I might say, you know what, I'm preaching so far is good advice, but it's not good news. That's like going to the outfitters and getting all of your supplies and going over the route and getting the compass, and then you head out into the wilderness on your own for the first time. Good luck. Sure, you've got the right gear. You've even got the right information in your head and in front of you, but what happens When it starts to get windy on the lake And there's some white caps And you're like oh boy we're going to swamp What happens when you can't find Your campsite and it's getting dark outside And you're getting desperate What happens when you don't know where you are What happens when you fall and get hurt And can't go on What happens when you're lost And you have absolutely no idea how to get back on track What happens when all of this good information and good advice is just worthless? These good tools can't help you. What happens when saying try harder to do better won't work? It doesn't matter if you've got the right map and a good compass. We know that we are fallible human beings. We will misuse, abuse, and maybe even lose those tools. And so what we really need to reach our destination is a guide. An experienced guide. A guide who knows every contour of our journey. Someone who's been there before, who knows the terrain, who knows the dangers, who won't get scared, who will give us courage and confidence, who will spur us on when we want to give up, who will carry us when we fall and we can't go on. The beautiful thing about the gospel it, is that we say God didn't just give us a compass and a map. He sent us a guide when he became flesh in his son Jesus Christ. If anyone knows the way to the with God life it's Jesus. He came from the Father so he knows his way back to him. When we get lost he goes out of his way, leaves the 99 behind to find us. When we're in danger, He goes down and rescues us from the pit. When we're scared, He's courageous. He tells His disciples in the midst of the storm, do not be afraid. And when we quit and abandon Him, He doesn't. He goes all the way to hell and back to bring us home. And He leaves us with the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. The bitter and beautiful end. So he's the map, he's the compass, he's the guide, a life lived with him and for him. That, brothers and sisters, that's the good life, the happy life, the blessed life, whatever you want to call it. That's the kind of life that flourishes and lasts, like a tree planted by streams of water, of living water, flowing water. Because when we are rooted and established in Christ and God's Word, we will flourish like the proverbial tree of Psalm 1. Our family recently were the proud winners and lucky winners of a tree from the Minneapolis Tree Trust. Every year they give away like a thousand trees to lucky citizens of our fair city. And last summer, we tragically lost a birch tree, uh, and so our backyard was looking kind of naked. And so this year, we won a Kentucky coffee tree to replace it with in in May. And so when we picked up the tree, it looked like this. Uh, And when I saw this, it kind of looks like a pathetic stick. And I've never transplanted a tree before. And so I dug this hole, and I put it in the ground, and I was extremely skeptical. I kept looking at the tree every single day and I was just expecting it to start, you know, the leaves start turning yellow and starts wilting, signs that basically this thing was going to die. It wasn't going to make it. But I watered it and watered it and watered it and watched and waited. And then the most remarkable thing happened. The tree didn't die. It not only lived, but it grew, and and I think it's going to make it, and eventually it's going to be a 50-foot tree. Look how differently it looks today. Two months later, the tree is going to live. And so that's what Psalm 1 promises us. If we heed its counsel, if we follow God through the Psalms which lead us to Christ— through this pattern of creation, fall, redemption, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, we will grow and flourish. And at times this growth is slow and it's imperceptible, but over the years, if we abide in Christ, in worship, prayer, fellowship, generosity, and service, if we do that, we will grow into something that will last because Christ will live in us. And it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Which is what it says on top of the gym, in the, in the gym there, and, uh, and also in the book of Colossians. But, but if you go in the gym, uh, we didn't come up with that. Uh, if you go in the gym, you look at Colossians, I think it's 123, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, that other version of the, li- of the good life, it won't last. It says it's like chaff, which is basically it's weightless. It's worthless. Vapor, here today, gone tomorrow. But the with God life will last. So Christ chose us. And will we choose him? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray.